0: I was 24 yesterday. Here I am in my 30s. Like, what happened there? From the Millionaire Next Door book, the authors found that typical millionaires are not slush consumers. I'm pretty sure that Dave Ramsey doesn't call an emergency not
1: having something to wear on a Saturday evening. News to me, isn't it? I'm not losing money.
0: I'm doing it constantly. I'm doing it consistently. Me and my friend Inflation are doing great. What about fear of missing out on the compound interest? Oh my God, can we make it trending?
1: I am Andrea, and together with my co-host, Anna, in this episode, we're getting ready to become millionaires. I was born ready. I'm still waiting for that million since you dangled the carrot in episodes <laughs> in money stories. Welcome to Sunder Characters.
0: Let's clarify what a millionaire is. Someone is considered a millionaire when their net worth, which is their assets minus their liabilities, totals one million pounds or more. And net worth is just a fancy way of saying what you own minus what you owe. If that amount equals to one million, you're a net worth millionaire.
1: Yeah, I really wanted to clarify this because when I wasn't so educated, I thought that millionaires are the people who spend a lot of money. Yeah,
0: so it's not about feeling like a million bucks. That doesn't make you a millionaire. Or if you know exactly how to spend a million, doesn't mean you are a millionaire. We have assets minus liabilities. Assets will be, for instance, your car, your house, any furniture you have, your pet. And liabilities will include those outstanding debt. So if you have student loan debt, if you have mortgage or a personal loan, those will be your liabilities. My dog is not a liability. But for sure, it's not an asset. (laughs) Depends how you're looking at it because your dog requires food. So you're spending money every day. But if you sell your dog... On country, he goes. What is the millionaire mindset? The entrepreneur talks in one of their articles about eight traits common to millionaires. And I chose my favorite five. One of them says... They dream big, then act. So they free themselves to dream big, to look at the world in a new light and see how things could be different, better and brighter. And then they actually go after that vision because they aren't waiting for someday to happen. They seize the opportunity and reach for their goals. I thought this was a really good one. Sometimes a big dream starts with a vision, right? And the
1: most successful people that I know or I follow or they inspire me, they have something in common. They first get very clear on their vision and they know how to articulate it and they sit with it. So they either practice visualization or they put together vision boards. And I find this idea of creating a vision board so interesting. Neuroscience proves that vision boards work because our brains can be rewired to think differently. So if we have a dream and we visualize it, we can force our brain to help us get there. And I think one of the things about visualization and what people that inspire me do is that they don't just visualize the end goal. They might have an end goal on their vision board, but they also visualize themselves taking the
0: necessary steps to get to that end goal. Another characteristic of a millionaire is that they focus on their strengths. We tend to or aim to be good at multiple things, but they say that millionaires, they focus on mastering one thing. And if they can do that thing better than anyone else, essentially they think that's the way to crack the code of being successful. And especially young millionaires, they know that they must focus on their strengths in order to achieve long-term success. Particularly in a society that kind of tells us that we have to be multiple things. Be good at everything while being good at nothing. Another one I really liked is that millionaires aren't afraid to risk failure. Because they say they have to gain the experience and insight necessary to achieve their dreams. And usually this insight comes in the form of failure. Those who have reached this millionaire status, they understand that failure is just part of success.
1: Yeah, when we were researching for this topic, I came across this article that says that a lot of the self-made millionaires have actually gone bankrupt at least once. But up to three times. Robert Kiyosaki talks about taking focused action in his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He defines focused action as following one course of action until successful. And of course, failure is going to be part of that. It's just about not giving yourself the
0: option to not be successful. You just try until you make it. But this idea of failure, when I started cooking, I had one particular dish I really, really enjoyed eating. And I just couldn't make it for the life of me. I used to make that dish, it would turn out awful, put it in bags, hide it in between my clothes so my parents wouldn't find out that I wasted more food. And it took me such a long time, but in the end, I was able to make it. And now it's one of my favorite dish. I make it whenever I want, but took so much failure, so I don't see why it wasn't be similar to becoming a millionaire. It's just you want to do something very, very well. And sometimes you fail at it.
1: Yeah. And I've seen this as well. When I was dancing, I've seen why people don't turn up to classes after a few times, because when you're going to try to learn a new skill, you have to be okay with the fact that you're going to look ridiculous whilst you're doing it. But sometimes that can be very triggering because no one likes to look stupid. You have to be comfortable with looking a little bit ridiculous. I looked like a monkey when I started learning how to dance. And I still remember to the day when I was kind of thinking, this is awful. There's nothing sexy. There's nothing sensual about this. There's nothing. No, I just look like a chicken on heels. It was horrible. (laughs) One of the other things these people have in common is that they know that their brain is their biggest asset. So they invest in education including financial education, and they invest in mentorship because they know that they don't know everything and they're going to do their best to get there. And this kind of continuous education doesn't always manifest in, you know, academic education. Sometimes it does for some people, but I think uh, it's supported by really good habits, such as reading, investing in themselves through courses. It's lifelong learning. Some other traits that pertain to this millionaire mindset that I found on the internet are advice along the lines of get comfortable with always learning, which I touched upon. Put yourself out there. Be patient. Accept mistakes as they come. Keep growth in mind.
0: Stop making excuses for yourself, which is a really big one. And my favorite one is don't forget about sleep. Interesting you put that one out there. Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about sleep and he says... If you need more sleep, sleep faster. If I don't sleep eight hours at night, I feel like a zombie the next day. My brain doesn't want to wake up. Because our brains need to rest so we can be more productive the next day. And do you think the little man can get ahead? Am I the little man? Who exactly are we calling little here? I think we are both the little men. So generally speaking, the little man is referring to an ordinary person who is not wealthy, famous, or powerful. Oh, I'm I am dreaming. the little man. No, I know it's just a saying. I think if
1: you asked me this a few years back, my answer would have been no. But right now, my answer is yes, particularly in the capitalist world that we live in. And I just want to put some caveats to my answer because I just want to focus on the current context that I can actually speak of. I do think the little man can get ahead. And my personal view on this is that if you live a life where your basic human needs are, met, you are potentially more likely to get ahead. I think it's pretty easy to think about getting ahead realistically when you don't need to make efforts to think about where your next plate of food is coming from. And we know cases as well where the pain of not knowing where your next plate of food is coming from has created a burning desire for people to never, ever want to be in that position. In either of these cases where you have to worry about your next plate of food or where you don't have to worry about your next plate of food, if we're talking about getting ahead, there is a lot of ambition, strength, determination, and opportunity that comes into play. But also in saying that, it just makes me laugh because calling anyone little in this context is kind of giving me the feeling that there is an external bigger force that controls our outcome. And sometimes there is. And I also wanted to say that getting ahead or this ahead has got different meanings for different people. I know people who's ahead meant in an academic sort of way. I know smart, educated women who have given up their careers to focus on family life. And I think that
0: ahead is a very personal way of referring to where you want to be in life. You mentioned people that have struggles financially. I think if someone went through that at some point in their life, that can have their financial situation go into two directions. You either hear them say, never again, and they end up succeeding financially. Or on the other side, they find it hard to exceed this rot race. That's why from my personal point of view, the little man can get ahead. And I agree with you. My answer would have been slightly different a few years ago. I don't think would have been a no, would have been a maybe. Just because where you grew up, if you're surrounded by people that think, no, we are the little men, we will never get anywhere in life. If you hear that over the course of many years, when you're a teenager or a child, you just end up believing it if you don't have better examples around you.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes it's not that we're not lacking better examples. We just think that they're very far away from where we are in that point in life. Instead of getting inspired, we just get down by it. And we find excuses, right? And I think there's a little bit of accountability that comes within that process where you kind of say,
0: well, this person is rich and I'm not because I haven't had the chances that they've got. What really shaped me was The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And he talks about the key to success, which is also the key to failure. He says that we become what to think about. In this Strangest Secret, he looks at 100 men that start even at the age of 25. And he says that we learn to read by the time we are seven, and then we learn to make a living by the time we're 25. Usually by that time, some people, you know, not only make a living, but also support the family. Mm -hmm. Yet by the time we're 65, we haven't learned how to become financially independent. The trouble is that we are acting like the wrong percentage group because only 5% of them succeed. We act like the 95% who don't succeed. Earl says that These people believe that their lives are shaped by circumstances, by things that happen to them by exterior forces. As you mentioned earlier, they are just outer directed people. A survey was made one time that covered a lot of men, specifically working men. And those working men were asked, why do you work? Why do you get up in the morning and go to work? And 19 out of 20 had no idea. That's crazy. They asked them, well, why do you? And... Most of them said everyone goes to work in the morning and that's the reason they do it because everyone else is doing it. And Earl talks about this being the trouble today. We conform, we act like everyone else without knowing why, without knowing where we are going. I think it's really important to find your why's. Sometimes it's not so straightforward. I mean, we we hear about people that have taken advantage of compound interest. And I remember probably five years ago. I had no idea what compound interest is. I think it will be interesting to see how much do we need to save to retire millionaires if we take advantage of this compound interest. For anyone that's not aware, compound interest is the interest you earn on interest, how your money makes money. So if you have 100 pounds, if you earn, let's say 5% interest each year, by the end of the first year, you'll have 105 pounds. But at the end of the second year, you'll actually have 110.25 pounds just because of this compound interest. And as you said, your money are starting to make money. Yeah, I don't think this is something we particularly learn about in school. From Business Insider, I found how much we need to invest in order to build a million dollar retirement account. We will keep it as dollars because of the example, but we can always convert it to pounds. Then us. We are assuming that we have a 12% annual return and it doesn't take into account any taxes. So how much do we need to retire with $1 million by the age of 65? We're going to take the example of us being in our 30s. If you are 30 years old, you will need to save $6.35 per day in order to become a millionaire in 35 years. That's your Starbucks coffee right there? Yeah. And monthly, that will be $193 and annually is $2,317, which for some people might be a lot per year, depending on their situation. However, the older we get, that amount has to get bigger just because we don't take as much advantage of this compound interest. So if you're in your 40s, you will have to save around $20 per day. In order to retire a millionaire by the age of 65, a monthly, that will be $625. It's quite a significant
1: difference just in 10 years' time with the amount. Just looking at the daily savings,
0: $6 is not $20. Exactly. What's interesting is that if you're in your early 20s, you will have to save only $2 per day. That will be $61 per month or $730 per year in order to retire a millionaire. So time in the market really makes a difference when it comes to compound interest. Looking back, even when we were working in a restaurant, Andre, I remember buying a new dress every Friday, you know, little things in life. But let's be honest, it was a very cheap dress. I think I could have saved $61 or £61 per month in order to become a millionaire.
1: Yes, but it's difficult because I think when you're in your early 20s, at least that was my particular journey with it, I thought that I just started working. I don't want to have to think about what happens when I retire. Look at me. I'm so
0: young. I'm so young. I know. I was at work and they were talking about investing. And one person in management said to us, yesterday, I was like you guys, and now I'm very close to retiring. You really need to start thinking about it. I was like, I'm a youngster. What do you mean I need to think about retirement? I have ages to go. But these ages, you know, I was 24 yesterday. Here I am in my 30s. like." What happened there? One thing I want to mention is that if you live in the UK and you are over 16 years old, you're entitled to save a certain amount of money in an ISA account. ISA refers to an individual savings account where there is no tax on profits made from an increase in values of shares. So if you invest your money in S&P 500, if you invest up to 20K a year, the money made from investments will be tax-free.
1: Yeah, take this as your sign to go and put your money into an investment account so you don't have these conversations 10 years later on a podcast, thinking about the dresses you bought every Friday before you went out.
0: Yeah, and the way we have ISA in the UK, they have a very similar one in US. It's called the Roth IRA, which is just an individual retirement account to which you contribute after tax dollars. So I'm pretty sure, depending on the country you're in, there must be some similar options available. Anna, what do you think is the general
1: perception of millionaires?
0: Probably the idea of becoming a millionaire or our personal perceptions of millionaires were very influenced by the society. I still recall sayings in my family or in my friendship groups, like you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Essentially becoming a millionaire, that's very unobtainable. Or saying that you cannot win in a certain context because you weren't born lucky like the rich kids. So my perception of them wasn't very positive. I just thought, you know, rich people are very privileged or they are greedy people. That's why they are so abundant financially speaking. And I didn't want to be one of the bad guys. You really hit the nail on the head there. I realized I struggled a lot
1: with the idea of appearing privileged until I started building the privilege for myself and accepting that actually this is what I want in my life and I get to enjoy it. Because one of the downfalls of being surrounded by people that tell you that people who are wealthier are bad is that when you start gaming that wealth, you feel like you are a bad person yourself, even though you haven't done nothing for it. On the web, we can find the most common beliefs when it comes to millionaires and how they achieve this status, but also what kind of people they are and where they came from. Some of the common beliefs from that list was that Millionaires were born into wealth or inherited their money. And we know that's not actually true because the data shows that only 20% of the millionaires have inherited their wealth. Millionaires are all young geniuses. That's also probably not very accurate. Or you need to be a celebrity. You need to take risks to quickly build wealth. And then there's something around millionaires having a very privileged education, such as going to prestigious private schools, or they got their net worth because they have high paying jobs. In a lot of cases, it seems to be less about investment and compound interest. It's not on this list.
0: Yeah, but in reality, a study published in 2019 by Welltex provided a breakdown of millionaires and they said that 67.7% are actually self-made and the rest made their money from a combination of either their own efforts and inheritance. So 8.5% inherited their wealth entirely. But you mentioned 20%. But it seems like that 20% range is a combination of own efforts and inheritance. For the UK, according to the Sunday Times Rich List of 2018, out of the richest 1,000 entrepreneurs living in the UK, a whopping 94% of them were actually self-made. On the list of how people can or have become millionaires, there was
1: also this notion of luck. And I wanted to discuss this because of the stories we heard about lottery winners. We all heard them. If someone wins the lottery and then they go bankrupt. In a study conducted in 2010 by researchers at three universities, which included Vanderbilt University, the University of Kentucky, and the University of Pittsburgh, it showed that the more money that was won by lottery winners, the more likely a person was to go broke. The researchers split the participants into two groups. In group one, there were those who won $10,000 or less. And in group two, there were those who won $50,000 to $150,000. They concluded that the more money they won, the more likely they were to have filed for bankruptcy within five years. So they say that people who have received sudden windfalls of cash, they don't really know how to deal with it because they didn't have to work for it. So the point here is that it's not really about having lots of money or receiving it suddenly. It's about understanding how to build and nurture money from the ground up. And to do this, you have to take some necessary steps and institute some important financial traits and kind of follow a basic set of rules. In this article by Lost Worker, they discuss the rule to follow in order to get ahead in life and exit the rat race. So some of the rules are always make more than you spend save your money, own the roof over your head and add value to the world. I really like all these rules because even if you didn't win the lottery, there are some basic financial hygiene rules that we should all follow to a certain extent.
0: Even when we discuss about becoming a millionaire, if you ask the general public, the initial reaction is, okay, how would I spend 1 million? It's not, how would I make a million? Mm -hmm. We all think about, oh. So if I had one million, what would I do with it right now? How can I spend it? It's not about the steps to get there. You learn how to make money. You appreciate every little penny. I'm not saying that millionaires don't spend money in a less mindful way. Just that at least they know how to make more money while having some of the main rules to help them maintain them or at least not lose them overnight.
1: And sometimes I think when we hear stories about people spending An amount of money that feels unrealistic to us, we tend to have this reaction of, oh my God, how can they spend so much money? But if you think about it, if someone made so much money that they can spend a million dollars on a car, they probably know how to make more. There's more millions where that million came from. Probably. Anna, do you think there are any secrets to becoming a millionaire?
0: So personally, I don't think there are secrets. But if you have access to the internet, they are well known. Assuming there are some crazy secrets out there, I'm pretty sure someone would have put them online. I would go as far as saying that there are also no shortcuts, but then, you know, Bitcoin. Dave Bromsey talks about baby steps millionaires. He has this book on how ordinary people build extraordinary wealth and how you can as well by following these seven baby steps. Or Seven Secrets, if you wish. This was a follow-up study to The Millionaire Next Door, which is a book compilation of research done by two authors in the Profiles of American Millionaires. And it's about the reality of how people accumulate extraordinary wealth. From The Millionaire Next Door book, the authors found that typical millionaires are not slush consumers, that they just tend to be business owners or people that work hard, save money, and live middle-class lifestyles. Just like you and me, Dave Ramsey took this study further and incorporated 10,000 participants and according to him, it's the biggest research study done on millionaires in North America or in the world. And sure should we go through these seven steps and just judge was to be judged? Let's like do it. Okay. So the first step is to start an emergency fund. Dave Ramsey recommends having $1,000 as a start back, something that you can go back to in case of an emergency.
1: I'm pretty sure that Dave Ramsey doesn't call an emergency not having something to wear on a Saturday evening. I like this advice when I looked into building my own emergency fund. I realized that a lot of people that I know of, they have got no emergency fund. And that's a little bit crazy to me because it's not like I'm surrounded by people who are not at the same stage of their life that I am, you know, in terms of where they are in their careers. So it's not money that it's an object. I think it's the
0: mentality that it's kind of getting in the way. The second step is to focus on debt. We pay off all debt except the house using the debt snowball. So pay the smallest amount first, despite the interest rate. Because some people find it Much easier to stay motivated when they pay off the smallest debt first.
1: I think having debt is an emotional journey for sure. And most of the time that snowball
0: method works because it breaks it down into smaller steps. And at least you see some results after you pay the smallest debt first, instead of starting with the biggest amount, six months in and you're like, well, nothing happened. Nothing's changed. The third step is to complete your emergency fund. So after having that 1000 that was just the start. In the third step, we save three to six months worth of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. And the way he talks about it, why between three and six months, is because depending on your job, if you work commission-based, you might need a six-month cushion. But if you have a very stable job, three months should be just enough. And he says, based on the research they've done at Ramsey Solutions beyond six months worth of expenses, your money are kind of losing their value. Yeah,
1: if we learn anything from the pandemic is that a lot of people lost their jobs in it. If you're living month to month and there's no cushion in your bank account, it's kind of difficult to take yourself out of a situation that you can't control in the first place. Going back to why do you start with building an emergency fund? I really like how he breaks it down. A thousand dollars or a thousand pounds, whatever the currency is. Is the bare minimum that you can do to put yourself into a situation where you don't have to continuously get in debt if something happens. And like I said, not if you don't have a dress, more in the lines of what do you do if your boiler breaks or your car breaks and then you can't get to work and then you don't have money to pay for it. When I started looking into it, the data is mind-blowing. 56% of Americans cannot cover a $1,000 emergency expense with savings.
0: And I think the situation is pretty dire in the UK as well. Step four is when you start saving for retirement. And he recommends investing 15% of your household income in a retirement account. Step number five is to save for college funds or to save for your children's college fund. I think this
1: is more applicable to the American system.
0: Yeah, to a certain extent, I do agree with it. In the UK, the situation is slightly different. It's not that you shouldn't pay for your child's education, but it's a very different setup compared to U.S. Step number six is my favorite because that's when you pay off your house while still investing 15%. So beyond step number four, you already start investing. And then step number seven is when you build wealth. Over this seven-step period, he does encourage people to give. I would argue that in a book that has been published and copied and distributed all over the world, I probably wouldn't call it a secret. This is my go-to book. Also, it has so many examples of people that started from minus, that were in a very, very poor financial situation. And also mentally, they weren't in a great place either. And how they ended up becoming millionaires. So in this book, he talks about the results and the top five careers of millionaires. Top one. It's engineers followed by accountant, teacher, management, and solicitor, which is so interesting because teachers, generally speaking, or at least my perception of teachers is that they are not very well-paid because they aren't. However, why are they in top five careers for millionaires? And they say that teachers or engineers, they find it very easy to follow steps. Hmm. For teachers over the academic year, they know exactly step-by-step what they will be teaching. So it's very easy for them to follow steps from one to seven in order. It's probably the same
1: for engineers. This kind of practical approach to building a house, for example, if you're that kind of engineer, you have to start from the foundation. I like Dave Ramsey. I really do for how much work he did to help people actually get out of debt. I find some of his advice a little bit extreme, but I do think that he provides a very efficient method to get out of consumer debt. But I think in terms of advice to become a millionaire, it depends of who you're going to ask this question too. The real estate investor will tell you that the secret is in property. Someone who's invested in crypto, they will tell you that it's in cryptocurrency. A financial investor, it might tell you that it's in trading or it's in co- the compound interest. But in terms of following secrets about creating passive income or becoming a millionaire, I really like Graham Steven. Graham Steven has got his own YouTube channel and he... He's a self-made millionaire. I quite like Graham because he started in real estate and then he did all the things that we mentioned above to become a millionaire. So he became an expert and he lived frugally and I'm pretty sure he still does. My favorite part about him is how he unapologetically shouts about how he can add values to people's lives and he does it on YouTube. And you know, if you don't follow Graham Steven, you should go and see how much he talks about his coffee. His advice to young people was to n- not spend their money on coffee. You can get coffee at home, you can get it for cheaper. And he drinks a coffee that it costs him 20 cents to make. Because he kept giving that advice, he actually started his own brand. I really love how he shamelessly plugs it in his videos because he encourages people to do the same, to spend less money, but he's also making money out of that. Very clever.
0: Yeah, I also follow Graham and I really resonate with his work ethic and funny fact. Graham is a huge fan of Dave Ramsey, although he doesn't fully agree with his methods either. And I understand why, because Graham believes in credit card, believes in points, believes in having mortgages and all that. But Graham is that person you need in your life to tell you that being financially abundant is possible without having the highest of educations or coming from a rich background. He says that if you put in the time and effort, you will succeed made me think of the law of cause and effect. We might know it as karma, but it says that what we put out there is exactly what we get back. And the reward might not come from the person we work for, but will have to come from another source because that's the law. The law is the law. So you better be kind. You better
1: put in the work. You better add value to people's lives and that will come back to you wholeheartedly. You know, my favorite job on these episode is talking about how our brain tricks us into finding shortcuts for our life. Maybe that actually tells you that I'm a lazy person. Maybe I'm actually smart. <laughs> Who knows? You'll never know. But when we chose this topic about becoming a millionaire, I couldn't help but think about how our friendships influence our wealth. And this was partly inspired by a conversation that you and I had a couple of years back when you kind of shared what you were doing with your investments. And I just felt so humbled. Because I was saving money for a very long term. And you told me that, well, you're actually losing because you're keeping them in the bank. And I just went, what? You're joking, but I'm doing all the right things. I'm not losing money. I'm doing it constantly. I'm doing it consistently.
0: Me and my friend, inflation, are doing great. Yeah. And it just blew my
1: mind because I didn't realize, but that kind of shifted a lot of things in me. And I think our conversation over the years from that point have moved towards how I can take certain steps to become more financially abundant and doing the right things. And I realized I don't know enough. And I was so lucky to have you in my life to kind of share all of that with me. But I think it was also
0: at the point where I was very willing to listen. So that's I totally agree. Because when I was younger, it's not like I never heard about investing or I wasn't talking with my supervisor from uni about, you know, the way he was investing in bonds in S&P 500. I was just not ready to hear it. Taking a file from your book, I actually found a survey. Are you proud of me? I'm very proud. There you go. So the
1: survey has asked 1,045 millennials from the US whether they felt like they need to keep up with their friends. 39% of them said yes. And also to do that, they were willing to spend money they didn't have. So they were very willing to get into debt. And then out of those 39% who said that they went or are willing to go into debt, 73% of them said they would keep it a secret. And it just made me think about how in certain groups of people, I felt at times more tempted to spend more, be it on clothes or drinks or dinners or whatever. And in some others, for example, between you and I, I feel like money is not an object because we spend all our time focusing and talking about growth and we celebrate our financial successes. So going back to our brain, it does it again, Anna. And it does it through another cognitive bias that is called. Fear of missing out. And I think we're very familiar with this if we're on social media. Hashtag FOMO. The thing with all these biases is that once you are aware of how this manifests for you in your own life, you can actually make them work for yourself. So if you find yourself in a situation where your FOMO will be generated by something you actually wish to achieve, for example, getting out of debt, maybe you can trick your brain to join a debt-free online community or something along those lines. You follow other people. So that fear of missing out is that you won't pay yours rather than
0: spending time with people who spend all their money on shoes if you are in credit card debt. When we say about fear of missing out, what about fear of missing out on the compound interest? Oh my God, can we make it trending? Now, should we see what other people say on social media platforms? Yes. We look to answer the question, what would you do if you won 1 million pounds? Andre, do you want to start? Yes, with a very good answer. Donate three pounds to Wikipedia was the first answer the <laughs> They deserve it. They do. Another person said, if I were to win one million pounds, I would buy 500,000 lottery tickets and 250,000 euro million tickets.
1: So splash the cash. This one is on a similar tone. I'd buy a million lottery tickets, all with the same numbers on them. Come on.
0: And that's as clever as it gets. <laughs> Someone said, I would put that 1 million pounds in the bank with my other million. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> this
1: one I really liked. Firstly, I would convert it into dollars. Clever.
0: If I were them, I would wait slightly longer. Maybe not in this recession. Someone said buy a Ferrari and then go to Las Vegas and gamble with the rest of the money to get more. <laughs>
1: The last one was written by someone who was a lot younger in age. They say, you would never ever see me work again. I would buy a mansion in it forever and buy lots of Chanel. Oh,
0: that's sweet. They actually think a million is a lot of money. They never had to buy a flat in London in zone one. And then if you had to describe where you are in your journey towards becoming a millionaire, what would you say?
1: Failure is my end.
0: I would say that I'm closer than ever because I started counting my pennies and I'm still not done. This is a lot, Andre. this is <laughs> a lot. <laughs>